Hello, Poddington Peas. Um, okay, so this episode, I've decided to do a little recap on what this pod is actually about due to um, a rocket in my listenership, um, which also includes um, 1% of Sweden, which is very exciting. So hello to my Swedish listener. Um, I just wanted to go over what I originally aimed for this podcast to do and um, also accept that it has evolved quite a lot. I saw on my um, Spotify description that I originally planned to do a daily update from where I was um, and I've discovered that that's just not realistic Um, and also there's just not enough to say. Most of the day we just spend cycling so you don't really want to hear about that um, over and over again. But originally, I wanted to do a little check-in with my friends and family um, while I cycled down Africa uh, from Cairo to Cape Town, although I did actually start in Jordan. Um, That was like a little practice run to just check whether I liked it. Um, And yeah, it's really just to update and and, uh, let people know where I am, but also um, try and remember, remind myself of... Uh, the things that I've learnt and um, I think I I re-listened to my last episode and I think it's a little bit of therapy for me as well so um, sorry if that's not really what you want to hear but I think it it helps me so there you go Um, I'm going to take a photo of my bike um, if people do want to see it um, because there's quite a lot of thought that goes into the setup of it it's quite nerdy but it's there if you want it Um, and what else yeah the bike the racks the um attachments and all the like camping gear and stuff is has all been quite thought through uh some of it's turned out to be useless and been dumped already Uh, i sent my two front panniers home um from ethiopia because i decided that i really didn't need that many clothes um i was trying to make this into something that a little more glamorous than it was um, so I sent all that stuff home and now I'm I'm carrying a much lighter load. But our bikes still weigh about 12 kilograms because they're quite heavy. Um, they're uh, long haul trucker Surleys. I actually just copied Kevin, who's my boyfriend. Uh, that's for the Swedish listener. Um, and I just got the same bike because he's quite a researcher. He's very thorough. He makes spreadsheets for everything. So I just thought, play it safe and just copy him. It's probably the best idea. So I did that. Uh, and I also didn't have that much time because I decided to come on this trip about four months before um, because um, I thought it sounded fun and he was really going. So I didn't have that much time to prepare and I didn't know if I was going to like it. So I didn't want to invest in too much stuff uh, so I don't have the most comfortable mattress. Um, it, my I have like a blow-up bed that I bought on Amazon for 12 quid and it slowly deflates during the night. So I have to wake up hourly and pump it up just with my mouth. Um, so that kind of keeps the night lively. So we've got all the gear. We've got camping stuff. We've got uh, cooking stuff. Basically prepared for any occasion. Um, We just picked up some disgusting looking booze last night that's some kind of sherry flavour. So we're really prepped for anything now, I think. Um, 
All in all, I think our panniers weigh about 35 to 45 kilograms. Um, so that adds a bit of extra weight and our bikes are 12 kg. Um, and we are quite heavy as well. So it's quite slow going on a bike tour. Um, we cover, I, it really varies. Some days we literally do like 10 miles um, and then we see something good and then we stop. But there was a period where we were doing quite a lot of mileage, maybe like 80 miles a day. That was in Sudan because it was quite boring. Uh, no offence, Sudan, but there's not much for a long time. So you just kind of go for it on the bikes. Um, the longest day we've done is 100 miles, and that involves cycling in the dark a lot. Um, so again, that wasn't that fun. We never really do that unless we really need to get to a spot to sleep for one reason or another, which is usually wild animals or people, um, because we, we wild camp most of the time and it's fine. But if we know that there's sort of like wolves around or something, we kind of look for another safer spot or we, we camp on someone's property, um, like a cafe or something. Sorry, apologies for that bird. It's being very rude. I can't calm it down right now. Um, it's quite loud. Uh, so yeah, we, we usually wild camp, um, and we used to average, let's say, 70 miles an hour. Miles an hour? Jesus, no. That would be amazing, but we'd be done really quickly. Um, 70. Um, I guess we probably do about 70 kilometers. Sorry to convert the... I'm, I'm used to this. Um, what do we do? Yes, for the international crowd. Um, yeah, we probably do about 70 kilometers average a day now. But that 70 kilometres um, hugely depends on the route that we've chosen to take, whether it's sort of like a mainstream road route with paved roads um, or whether we're like climbing a lot in Ethiopia. There's a huge amount of climb. It's so mountainous. So that slowed us right down. Um, and sometimes we choose to go off the main track um, for one reason or another, like the, we heard um, one of the main roads down through Ethiopia was not recommended. Um, so we decided to go where I last left you, I think. We were heading to the border um, southwest via Omarate, which is the sort of tribe area. And um, we, we cycled over the north area of Lake Turkana in Kenya. Uh, which is very very quiet um, people have been asking me about what how we choose our routes um, I basically just look at Kevin and he tells me which way we're going um, but we are going to change that actually because um, I have decided I would like some input on how much um, extra things we're doing because we seem to be doing a lot of extra things which I think are um, making it just a little bit harder for us because um, the distance to, to Cape Town is long enough. Um, we've decided that since we got to Kenya we're going to cycle the Rift Valley which is quite challenging. It's where the Kenyan cycling team train um, so it will be really cool and I think it will be worth doing for that reason. I think you can go stay with them um, and it's meant to be very beautiful um, but there is a lot of climbing involved. I think it's like 3,000 metre climb. Um, so I'm 
going to be having a little bit more input on the routes um, going forward. But um, up until now, we've chosen, Kevin's chosen very well. Uh, we've avoided a lot of the areas we've heard bad things about. Um, we've gone through some really sort of idyllic areas that um, it's been really hard to access. Uh, there's been a lot of, like I said, pushing bikes through sand, which is very tedious. But at the same time, you get some really good camping spots because no one's there. Um, and the wildlife's pretty good for that reason as well. Um, so it's good to sort of have a balance. And we've done we've done a lot of like tarmac road cycling too. Um, and it's nice to just kind of do a bit of everything. Um, we went to a place a while ago called Lalabella in Ethiopia, and it's particularly hard to get to there. There's not really roads, and it's um, it's about two thousand meter climb in total but the roads are really rocky and gritty. I've learned quite a lot about um, terrain for cycling now. There's all sorts of stuff um, that you don't want to cycle on, like um, grit, because you can't get any grip on it. Um, sand, that is the worst. Deep sand, the very, very worst. Um, you're basically just carrying your bike then. Um, there's sort of big chunky rocks and stuff you also don't want because it throws you up and down all the time and you lose your momentum so much as well um all of that sort of loose stuff you just completely lose momentum so every pedal stroke is like starting from scratch and it's quite hard work um the smoother the surface obviously you just glide across and carry yourself forward so yeah there's there's all sorts of reasons to choose a route um sorry if I'm preaching to the choir for some people but um yeah, you, you kind of assess all these things, the altitude, um, but we mainly do it based on whether it's nice. So we're going to cycle the Rift Valley. Um, we're heading towards a lake today. I don't think we'll make it today. We'll probably get there tomorrow. Um, I'll find out what it is. And uh, we're heading to a place called Maragat, which is, I think, where the cyclists train. Um, we, we are... Oh, I didn't even say we're in Kenya. We're in Kenya. That's where we are now. Um, I wanted to go over the last few days in Ethiopia as well, but I'm running out of time. Kevin's made the coffee already, so I need to get back. Um, I'll just cover it quickly. I think um, last time I left you, I was in that brothel. Um, there was an incident, actually. Um, cover your ears, young listeners. But um, <laughs> I haven't mentioned this, but I wear contact lenses and... I went to the loo in the night, which was down uh, in what I call the shed toilets, which means like shared toilets, but they're also shed toilets. So it kind of works both ways. Um, they're kind of gross. But anyway, I went down there, um, came back quite dark. And in this sort of hotel, um, there's a lot of doors that look the same. So I went into a room and have a look into the room and see a guy lying on the bed and I think that Kevin sleeps on his side but anyway um he's in the same spot so I kind of stand there before realizing that this guy is not Kevin and I've walked into somebody else's room um and he sees me and thinks that it's some kind of exciting foreplay so um <laughs> I'm frozen to the spot because it's hilarious um and he is saying, come here. Uh, but luckily I sort of wake up out of the, the stun 
um, stunned self and managed to sidestep out and go into the next room and there Kevin was, so it's fine. Uh, he was fast asleep, snoring away. Um, but yeah, so that was amusing at the brothel. Uh, what happened after that? Um, it was quite fun the last few days in Ethiopia. It was the quietest that it's ever been for us in Ethiopia. Um, less populated than anywhere else, I'd say. Um, and nice roads. There was loads of naked people, which was the highlight, obviously. Um, everyone's naked because it's tribe lands. Um, so they just walk around butt naked, everyone, men, women, kids, um, and just do stuff naked, um, which I personally think is really cool and I'd love to live like that because it's just easy, isn't it? And you'd save money on clothes. Um, so yeah, that was nice to end Ethiopia. I tried to liberate myself. Uh, I did want to also be naked, but I wasn't. Um, I cycled barefoot for a little while which I felt kind of like a hippie and it was nice and I had the wind between my toes. So that was fun um, to, yeah, get in with the tribe tribe crowds. Um, so that was really nice. We went through Emirate. That's the tribe area that a lot of tourists go to to see the tribes, which we thought was a bit weird because um, you just go and, like, stare at them while they do their cooking and stuff. Um, I don't know whether they're naked during that time, but... Even if they're not, I still think it's a bit odd. Um, we didn't do that, but we just saw them. Because um, uh, that's kind of the glory of bike touring, actually. You just see loads of stuff. Um, you move a bit too quickly for anyone to have, you know, to, for you to have an impact on where you are. Um, so you just sidle through. Um, but you do get to see a lot on the ground um, and it's just kind of like real life so I highly recommend it it's not actually that hard um, I'm not really that fit I wasn't really a an exercisey person before and I don't think I am now actually we ate like a whole cake for breakfast yesterday so that was the end of Ethiopia and on the 21st of January we crossed into Kenya uh, which is where I am now the border crossing was very minimal. Um, there was a one woman um, dr dressed in an army uniform, uh, accompanied by six probably children aged around 10 years old. Um, and they were just really more concerned about getting selfies with us. Uh, I think she checked one of my panniers, but um, she... Uh, the the kids really their priority was there to uh, get selfies so we crossed the border uh, from it, that was really just like a line and that line was from a really nice tarmac road um, into a big empty sandy expanse uh, which was supposedly Kenya but we weren't even really sure if it was what it was whether we were still in Ethiopia Kenya Google always thinks something different to what it actually is uh, so the only way we could tell which way was the right way to Kenya was because a bus and a police car went past um, Kenyan police so we worked it out and sort of followed the tracks that they had left behind them um, we pushed 
our bikes through the tracks because they were thick with sand, which, as I mentioned earlier, was really tricky to get through. And we were pushing for about two hours through the sand. We went past a little plaque that said that we were in South Sudan. Um, so we were momentarily there, but that was the only real evidence of it. And then we continued and then we we reached finally some some trace of uh Kenyan border. It was like a little army barracks. Um they called us over and were extremely hospitable. Um the the language barrier is really noticeable immediately. Um sorry, the the language barrier came down. We didn't really think of it before, but um Ethiopia we we just couldn't communicate so so well and the minute we came into Kenya um English is actually one of the official languages of Kenya so suddenly we were able to talk to people um really easily and it was so refreshing and nice and yeah secondly we had some awesome hospitality from the police and the army um in two different locations but they're really close together around this sandy area that was the border uh we (laughs) were immediately offered some sheep no goat head I think it was goat um head bits and uh, Kevin was so like oh yeah sure goat head my favorite and I was like oh look at it and it was it was chopped up into these little bits um every piece looked completely different it was like one bite you might get an eye one bite you might get brain you know so it was really tricky I tried to play it really cool and I was like oh yeah I'll have one of those I'll try a little bit of that so I went to go pick it up but it was like oh my god which bit do I pick this could be a massive difference between you know eating like goat eye or whatever but I did, and it was actually quite nice, but then anything dipped in salt is nice. Uh, So I had a munch of that, and also some ugali, which is basically Kenyan equivalent of injera. Um, It's it's like, it looks like mashed potato, but it's really disappointingly hard, Um, but it does have like the, the look, of the texture of mash and it's white and it's thick kind of slabs and um yeah it's like this it's very carby um they make it out of flour I think um and I guess it's something that is like native to here and that's why they do it same as injera um but they have it with everything as we've discovered already um and it's weird it's like you you dip it in stuff, but it doesn't absorb. It's like dipping it in just for a small coating around the outside. It is strange, and I'll try and like capture the essence of it somehow in like a photo or something. Uh, but yeah, so we we've been introduced to that already. The police introduced us to that with the goat head, and uh, also some goat head soup, which again Kevin like wolfed down this mug, and I was like. Mm, this is interesting but um it was so nice of them to give it to us anyway and we sat with them they they just offered us the world they they told us we could go and shower in there 
work showers, uh, they gave us cold water, they gave us heads and goats and eyes and all sorts. Um, and yeah, were, were incredibly nice, probably because they knew exactly what we had to come. And they, um, yeah, they were trying to give us the, give, give us some kind of nourishment before this intense five day um, trek through very, very deep sand around Lake Turkana in insane temperatures, I should add. Um, so I think it may have been that, um, and they probably sort of had sympathetic looks in their eyes as they waved goodbye to us and thought we were probably never to be seen again, um, because that's exactly what happened. We pushed our bikes through the sand for five days, more than five days, but we, um, had like a rest day and... I think we just, we did things a little slower than we probably needed to, but it was pretty hard work. Um, and there's not really much around Lake Takana, uh, which I've said before is really cool because the camping spots are amazing. It's really quiet and nice, but at the same time you need water to survive. So we did really struggle. Um, it's not catered to any kind of tourism and so the shops although again there's not really shops it was just huts um and people selling stuff from their houses but they don't really sell mineral water or not that we care about mineral water but it's just accessing any kind of water is quite hard and uh yeah there was so little available there was sort of two liters on average, we'd, we'd find two litres of mineral water a day, uh, and that's just not enough, like, in, I think it was almost 40 degrees uh, centigrade, and um, obviously we were just out in the sun all day, there was no shade, so water was a real issue, and there was one day where we were really struggling to get hold of, hold of any, um, we ran out, and... I had to negotiate with a woman that sort of owned a shop. She didn't have water, and she was explaining to me that everyone gets water from the river, um, and they have, like, big jerry cans of the water, which we've seen loads. That they get it from boreholes, they get it from the river, all sorts of... Some just have wells, which is great. Um, but, yeah, she, she was saying you, you could go to the river... And it was like back three miles away we'd come or something. It was pretty intense. Eventually we negotiated buying a jerry can of river water. Um, it was oh, I think it was 20 litres in the end. Um, and I mean, usually you wouldn't pay for that because it's, it's literally, you just go and get it. But we, we bought the river water uh, just because we really couldn't go back. Um and we, we already had to go um, quite a lot further forward that day. So, yeah, we ended up buying the river water and drinking that for the next few days, which was quite cool. It was a bit silty at the bottom, um, but we did filter it. So it was quite different. Like, I would have I would have drank what they drink, but we had the option to filter, so we, we filtered it as well. Um, but... 
yeah, it was good. It was absolutely fine. In um, the next few days following that, we found a lot of pumps that had been built by um, different different um, country aid and uh, also boreholes, um, which is weird to see because it's just like a, a shallow sort of puddle in the sand, which is permanently there. Um, well, maybe not always permanently, um, but there, and they just uh, shovel it out. So there's all these various ways of getting water, but they, they weren't the most ideal. Um, obviously, they're not ideal for the people that live there either. I'm sure they'd much rather other things. But um, yeah, it was quite it was quite challenging doing the pushing through the sand and also not knowing when you'd access the water. Um, and then obviously that's water, like food was even <laughs> fewer and further between. Um, but we survived on some spaghetti mainly, spaghetti, tomato puree, and uh, what else? Oh, these, they sell some strange little pastries and stuff. Um, they're, it's kind of like fried polenta. It's a bit like ugali, but fried um with nothing inside but we're we're learning there we've got a lot of peanut butter um and jam and stuff so and Kenya's already offering so many more um supermarket items than than Ethiopia ever did so we've we've got quite a lot we've got a massive thing of marmalade as well sorry don't want to show off it sounds like I'm bragging now um but yeah marmalade with the uh, with bits in um, so yeah, we, we did our trek, uh, the water was a nightmare, as I said, the shops were very difficult, there wasn't really shops, um, there was an incident from, we were purchasing water from a woman, I, I sort of hunted her down as someone that would sell us water, and she was selling it out of her hut, and I think she made a mistake by getting her her four-year-old daughter to bring out the water from the house because she was sat outside and so this little girl was sort of bringing bottles to the doorway and presenting them and the mum was approving and and then I was buying them um she she gave me three and then she brought out a plastic bag or something and the mum sort of shouted at the the daughter and she like ran back in with it so I think it was something cheeky that she wasn't supposed to give to um um Mazungu which is us um so that was quite amusing but we I took it back to camp to Kevin and we were having dinner and we opened one of the bottles and he he took a sip and we were inside the tent because we were being absolutely attacked by insects at this point and um he took this sip of what we thought was water and made a very weird face <laughs> and I know he has to open up the unzip the tent and spit it out um but it wasn't in complete horror uh because we we assessed this substance and we decided that it was some kind of home-brewed alcohol um that she'd actually accidentally sold us um, something minty, which I've seen in shops since. There's this stuff called mint punch, and I think it might have been that. But um, 
yeah, we were really excited about this homebrew moonshine stuff that we'd got hold of. And she'd sold it to us at water price as well, which was brilliant because, yeah, she was was a little bit of a greedy woman. So I didn't feel too bad about taking um, this homebrew. And um, I, yeah, we got a second opinion on it. We we took it to this uh, woman that was chatting with us and she had a sip. Um, and spat it out because I just wanted to check it wasn't actual petrol um, because uh, incidentally they do sell petrol in exactly the same bottles as mineral water uh, which is so risky but it's done Um, and so yeah it's not that crazy Um, I wanted to just light it to see whether it would go up in flames or not but this woman had some and she said oh yeah I'll hold on to that that's booze um she didn't say that's absolutely disgusting booze um but uh we we saw it as something quite valuable so we kept that and uh saw it down when it was necessary so that was um yeah another incident from this sort of rural area where they obviously aren't um, catering for tourists because there aren't any tourists it's like the hardest place to get to in the world so uh, I can see why why it's all like that um, and it's probably quite a unique area for that as well because it was so difficult um, I don't think anyone from Ethiopia would go there uh, so it's quite closed off up but this is um, north well sorry not really north the uh, west side of Lake Turkana um, going south down towards um, Lodwa, which is like the biggest town that we were headed towards in Kenya. Um, so that was that experience. Um, we basically lived off these fried fish scratchings for the next five days. Um, they're just bits of fish that have been like completely fried uh, to the point that it's not really recognizable that it was fish any anymore um but they are quite tasty they they just taste like pork scratchings that you get in the pub um but fish version um so we lived off those uh sadly we didn't see any um crocodiles at the lake even though it's one of the highest like concentrations of crocodiles in the world um, we were always quite far away from the lake. I didn't really feel its presence that much, um, even though we were going uh, like alongside it for for the whole week almost. Um, the wildlife got mildly more exciting um, while we were there. We had some um, attention from a really excitable praying mantis, um, while we were having dinner one night, just, I don't know if you've seen them before, but they hold their hands up, well, their little, yeah, little claw hands, um, up in a really excited way to their chest, and they sort of run around, um, quite fanatically, and one, one really, really seemed to like Kevin, and was just all over him while we were trying to have dinner, so we moved into the tent to get away, and, um, got away, obviously, had our, like, spaghetti, tomato puree stuff, um, and I, I didn't realise that he was still waiting outside, but we went to bed, and I opened the tent 
at about midnight or 1am or something because it was so sweltering hot. And this same praying mantis, honestly it was the same one, ran straight inside the tent, straight onto Kevin who was asleep and didn't realise but he was just, oh he was so, so enthusiastic, he loved it. Um, I had to scoop him out though because it was just too dangerous for, for him to be in there really, he could get crushed. Um, but yeah, so that was quite fun. Um, other than that, I have to say, wildlife's got interesting, um, but also has been dead. So I've seen a dead chameleon on the road, which was really cool because it was like real life, but also really sad because it was dead. Um, and also quite a large iguana or something very similar, um, also dead. Um, and the last thing that was particularly exciting because I, I mean I'm 100% convinced I saw it and um, it was this really really hairy frog um again brackets dead but um I saw it and it was so hairy and I've looked it up since and it's actually not supposed to exist in Kenya um it's it's more in like Congo and um like central uh, Africa, I can't, I can't remember the other places, but there's no mention of Kenya on the list. And honestly, it was this really, really hairy frog. Um, I don't think it was just a... I don't think he used good shampoo or something. I think that was actually what he was. So um, that was cool, um, but no one will probably ever believe me because they don't exist in Kenya. So, yeah, wildlife's kind of changed. I wouldn't say it's got... It's, it's not really matching up again to what I was expecting from Africa. Um, I'd like to see some mammals, for one. Um, and also, alive things would be cool. Um, but the birds are always great. Um, and the... Um, well, hopefully the best is yet to come. Finally, I'll conclude our long journey uh, down Lake Turkana. Um, we did eventually make it to Lodwa, the first town um, in Kenya that we got to that had an ATM. So all of that time before Lodwa, we were without um, any... Well, we, we exchanged dollars um, at a mission that we found quite early on, but... Um, yeah, no ATM facilities and also no Wi-Fi, no like signal or anything. So unable to kind of communicate with anyone else. Uh, apologies for that. Uh, we made it to Lodwa um, at about 3pm after some heavy rainfall on our cycle down there. Um, we got there to discover that Lodwa is, um, on either side, has uh, rivers. So um, the river that we had to cross um, was enduring a flash flood from the rainfall um, and we were actually unable to get to Lodwa, even though we could see it just the other side which was pretty devastating after such a long journey. 
Um, and we were still without money at this point too. So we kind of budgeted um, our Kenyan shillings to last until that day, but we didn't factor in um, sitting sitting on <laughs> the riverbank for almost four hours, I think. Uh, we sat there and we did manage to purchase a couple of chapatis, um, which is a really common like street food here, um, and they were super cheap. This little kid was selling them and they were absolutely delicious. So we did get some of them. Uh, but we was very we were very unsure how long we were going to be sat there, um. So a little nervous. The sun was going down. This was about seven, almost seven thirty. I think it was pretty dark, and the river is still completely flooded. Uh, we watched a couple of cars. There's big queues of cars and trucks waiting to cross, um. But we did watch a couple of bold cars cross and one of which died almost um, at the other side, so people <laughs> waded into the water and pushed the car out, even though the engine wouldn't start, uh, and they pushed it all the way out, uh, probably, uh, I don't know, about 40 yards or so, and then we had the engine come back on, so it did eventually get working. We also saw the guy open his car doors and just streams and streams of water and maybe some fish came out of the car as well, which was great. Um, I think the people were walking across um, fine. It was it was probably knee height. Um, it was definitely covering number plates and stuff. Uh, big trucks were going across, but they weren't all going just because they're big trucks. So I think everyone was still very wary of of the current and things. Um, and it was a long distance, uh, probably, God, uh, I don't know, about 35 metres across the river. So it was not, you know... Um, something to mess around with once you commit you commit uh, so we watched these cars go across and I'm sitting there thinking what on earth are we going to do because bicycles fine we can we can get them across but we've got our bags and stuff and I didn't want them submerged for probably a minute or two while we crossed over plus I didn't I wasn't massively keen because I didn't think it was the safest thing it was kind of like roaring um river going across um so wasn't really sure what to do I did have a slight idea in my head but I didn't expect it to go so smoothly um I said to Kevin it's kind of now or never because the sun was really had gone and it was getting pretty dark and we couldn't really cross in the dark after a certain point um so I went over because there was this big, big truck just starting to cross and no one had crossed in a while. And we went to go and have a look. I said, I wanted to move anyway because we were getting so much hassle where I was sitting. So we went over and these Spanish guys that we'd seen earlier were in the back of the truck, um, which was only revealed when we sort of went round to the back and we could see the open doors. Um, and their motorbikes were up in there as well. And I saw that and I was like, right, we need to get in that truck. And we did. We just, like, 
I screamed at them and I was like, can we come in? And we just chucked up our panniers in about like 20 seconds, everything had been put into the truck, um, lifted by various men and, um, and then we jumped in afterwards um and we were we were on there like before we really even knew we were um and then like seconds later the truck crossed the river and we by the time we got to the other side it was actual night time and you couldn't see at all so we were so lucky uh we were really really grateful to the spanish guys and the truck driver uh they worked out some kind of deal but i think we we got quite lucky because we we didn't have money because we hadn't been to an ATM, so we couldn't really offer them much. Um, and so we just got a kind of free ride over the river, um, really, yeah, really on a whim. So that was really, really lucky. Uh, I think otherwise we would have had to sleep in the church that was that side. Uh, and after the journey that it took to get there, I really didn't want to do that. Uh, so we made it to Lodwar finally and we got a little bit of rest and so I will leave it there on our our current trip. One final thing I'd like to say as to why I'm doing this trip in the first place, um, obviously ultimately it's for myself and um, my you know experience and enjoyment but uh, I am also planning on cycling all the way to Cape Town and then, not sure if this is realistic yet or not, but um, there's an island called St Helena, uh, which is one of the most remote islands in the world. It's right in the middle of the South Atlantic and it's probably closest to Cape Town as a landmass, but it's really not that close. I'd really like to go there. I've been speaking with um, the director of Creative St Helena, um, which is an organisation for uh, the, the creative arts for um, children in the the main town called Jamestown there. Um, we've been talking for about a year now, actually, um, because I wrote a, a short film script about the island and she was really really helpful with information um it's mainly based on facts so we had to straighten some stuff out and um uh, on writing this film script I discovered that there's a playground there um that hasn't been open for 15 years and I think that's such a um sad thing for the children in that community um it's really the only opportunity for them to have a base in the community and um i think it would change their lives to have this playground reopened it's been quite hard because of um certain laws uh, st helene is a british colony and i think that they've struggled to get like the right sort of legislations passed etc things that I don't really know about um but they also are just struggling to get the funds together because the minimum wage there is uh I think 
uh, not minimum wage, sorry, the annual um, average annual wage is about £8,000, um, which is not very much. Um, and most people on the island are pretty poor. Um, I haven't been there yet, but I do plan to uh, see this firsthand. And I would really like to go there. Um, I'm I'm trying to raise some funds, um, and I've got a Just Giving page, which I'll put the link in the um, in the about if you do want to visit. Um, and the the plan is to get the money together and then go and um, give it to them um, myself, and possibly even see the playground opening. Um, I really want to stress that not a single penny of any donation will go to me and my trip um not uh any of it at all uh that's completely funded by me um but yeah I would really like to gather some money for for this playground um I think it will make such a big difference to a very small island they've the population is about 4,000 people um, and they're very alone um, for <laughs> quite a distance uh, in the middle of the sea. And I I really want them to know that the world sort of cares about them. Um, so um, if you can spare some money, that'd be cool. If not, just keep listening to my podcast and I won't mention it again, I promise. Um well, that's me done. I tried very hard with this pod to structure it. Um, so let me know if you have any comments, um, and I'll I'll see if my Swedish listeners still listening after this one. All right. Good night.